How do you feel? Relief? Regret? Sorrow? As you look towards 2022, how do you feel? Do you you feel fear, worry, anxiety, excitement, no no thoughts at all? (laughs) I figured as we look to the beginning of the new year, we would look to the end. This week and, Lord willing, next week, we will think about the end as we start the beginning of a new year. It's my heart, my desire for you is that you will end this year well, but more importantly, that when you come to the end of your life, you will stand before Jesus with no eternal regrets. And one of the big ways we do that, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at the identity of those who end well. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to jump in. But I figured I would let you into my my main heart's desire for this morning. My main desire is not that you will understand the Bible better after our time together, even though I want that to happen. And my main heart's desire is not that you will walk away understanding yourself better, even though I want that to happen. My main desire is that after our entire time this morning, you will be able to walk away saying, isn't our Savior wonderful? That's what I want for this morning. That's what I want for every single time we gather together. So as we pray, that's what I'm going to pray. God, work in our hearts so at the end we will see you are so, so good. So let's, let's do that now. Let us close our eyes and pray to our Savior. God, I thank you that you have brought us to a new year. Lord, I pray for our time right now. Lord, that you will supernaturally work through your true word that is alive and active. God, I pray that if there's something I'm planning to say that I shouldn't, just let it escape my mind or or let the people forget it. I pray, God, that you will work in the people's hearts in ways that I I didn't even expect or, or think through. Lord, I pray that as I am up here, I will be real and genuine and honest, and I pray you will be working And Lord, I pray that through your word, through your Holy Spirit's working, you will help us all be able to say that you are so wonderful. I can't do that, God. I am weak. My heart is hardened by sin. I can't do it. I pray, work this morning through your word. I thank you for who you are and that you want heart change more than I do. I pray, Work, God. And Lord, there's some people in my, my mind that I, I would love for them just to, to watch this, this coming week that are far from you. Please put that in their heart. I want them to know you. And Lord, I, I pray for those in Japan so far from you. I pray you will do a work there, just like I'm asking, do a work here this morning. Thank you, God. 
Jesus, I pray these things because you hear us, you love us, your love never fails, you are good. Amen. So what I want to do is we're looking at the identity of those who end well. So first, we're going to real quickly look at this idea of identity, and then we're going to move right into God's word and talk about the identity of those who end well. So uh, the first blank in your notes is the impact of identity. Now, identity is, is a hard thing to really talk about because there's so many different ways to look at it and define it, but I'm, I'm just going to try to do it quickly and simply. So uh, this definition of identity, um, it's kind of wrapped up. Uh, it's who you are and how you see yourself. Generally, who you are, how you see yourself, and that, that's kind of wrapped up together. And as we think about identity, I think there's three categories we can look at. The first is naturally given identity. This is just true of every single person, blanket statement. And that is that you are perfectly or purposefully made in the image of God. Something that's true of you that's not true of anything else in creation. You have characteristics that come directly from God that no other part of creation has. Mainly, you can have an intimate relationship with the Creator. Nothing else has that. So this naturally given identity is, man, you are made in the image of God purposefully. And at the same time, straight out of the womb, you are a rebel far from God. And that is the tension. Made in the image of God, far from the God that you were created in the image of. So, so that's this first definition of identity. There's a natural given identity. There's this God-given one that we will talk about in a couple of minutes. And then I think there's a self-made identity. And this is kind of where you would internalize childhood experiences. You take relationships or non-existent relationships with your parents. You take these inward goals and desires. You look at how other people see you and think of you. And you kind of create this version of you and you point to and say, that's me. Whether right or wrong. And I want you to see that identity has a huge impact Because how you and what you identify as will affect how you live and what you live for. And it's easy to forget the impact of it. Oh, but it is so impactful. Here's just a couple of general, simplistic examples that I think will help us understand this. So let's say there's there's a a woman and, and she has built up this identity as someone who is successful at work, climbing the ladder, lots of money, good at her job. Well, what's her life going to be focused on? It's going to be focused on work and achieving those things that she's built her identity around. Or let's look at a a man. Let's say he has this identity as a husband and father. I'm going to be the best one. That's how he sees himself. Well, what's his life going to be centered on? Making that a reality well, let's say there's someone who sees themselves as worthless and unloved. How are they going to live? They're probably going to live withdrawn, insecure. Identity, how you see yourself, it has a huge impact 
on how you live your life. And I want you to see the self-made identity is fragile. If you don't get this right, you will be like a leaf blowing in the wind at the whim of other people, situations, your emotions. It's fragile. Because what happens to the businesswoman when her business closes? What happens to the man when he loses his family? If you built up this identity that you are a good person who does good things, what happens when you mess up and make a mistake? Everything crumbles. Now, I want you to understand this. I am not now, nor will I ever just simply say, search deep within you to find out who you really are. If I ever say that, get me off the stage. And I'm not saying that just pull up your, your bootstraps and go get them. Search within your heart. Figure out who you really are. That is the worst thing, the worst advice. Jeremiah 17, 9. I think it's up there on the screen, but maybe it's not. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Now, maybe you're not sure what you really believe about the Bible. Maybe you're not sure if it's really the Word of God. This, this just tests true in real life. How many times have you been led astray by your heart? Your heart says, that's a good thing to do. Do that. That's going to feel good. I'm, I will be as bold to say that almost every single time you're going to be led astray. I, I know I have. So when I see coffee mugs that says, follow your heart, oh, no, I want to break those coffee mugs. I won't because they don't belong to me. But but I want you to see that this self-made identity following your heart doesn't answer your eternal need. And if that's where you find your identity, if that's what you're following, you're going to end up with eternal regret. No doubt about it. So, that that, that is, is the conclusion of this first part. The impact of identity, man, it impacts your entire life. So before we move on, how do you see yourself? Have you created this version of yourself, right or wrong, and you point to and say, that's me? How do you see yourself? What I want you to do is grab your Bible, physical or online. Uh, It'll be up there on the screen, but I would encourage you to open it to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So what we're going to look at is the identity of those who end well. Now, I want someone to take account of how many times I say identity. I feel like I've said it 30 times already. This identity is the only one that answers the problem of our deceitful heart and hell-bound soul. This is the God-given identity. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And just so you see what we're doing, in chapter 3, Paul's writing to this local church. And in chapter 3, it's super practical. It's Paul saying, this is what it looks like to live as a Christian. Like, if you identify as a Christian, this is what it looks like to be one. In verses 1 through 4, let's just read it. This is Paul writing, 
Holy Spirit is working. This is the word of the one true holy God. It says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I just want to read it one more time. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the core center of these four verses is the end of verse 1 and verse 2, where Paul says, seek the things above, set your minds on things above. Now, Lord willing, we're going to look more at that next week. But what's interesting, in the, what's interesting is the, the core part of these four verses is sandwiched in between three statements about who Christians are. And that's, that's what we're going to look at, these three statements. Look at verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, that's the first one. A Christian is risen. Look at verse 3. For you died. Now he's talking to believers, so a Christian is dead. We're going to talk about that. And then at the rest of verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what is the identity of those who end well? They are, and we're going to look at it, I think, in what makes sense logically. Those who end well are dead, risen, and hidden. Dead, risen, hidden. That, that is all we're going to look at. So first, let's talk about this idea of dead. And what's most important first to talk about is that every single person straight out of the womb is dead in sin. If you want, you can turn to Romans 6 because we're going to spend some time there. Romans 6.6. 6. I want to look at the bad news first. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that's the good news. But, but read this. Look at this. So that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So he's writing this to believers. So what Paul says is no longer the case is the case for every single man and woman from birth. So, so look at this. The body ruled by sin. By birth, we are ruled by sin. Paul says for the Christian, sin is powerless. But by birth, sin is powerful over us. Look there at the end of verse 6. Enslaved to sin. By birth, every single man and woman is powerless against sin, ruled by sin, enslaved by sin. We're, we're born this way and we willingly follow this. Born under the wrath of God 
because we rebel against the one true God. But if you look at verse 6, he's talking to people that this isn't the case for. So what happened? Jesus was crucified on your behalf. And I just want to take a minute and stop. Have you ever wondered how the gospel like saves you? Have you ever really tried to think through how does Jesus' death and resurrection mean I'm no longer ruled by sin, no longer under the wrath of God? Have you really fought through that? Let's just talk about this for a second. There is no getting around the one true holy God's justice and wrath. God must punish rebels who have totally disregarded willingly every single command, who have basically spit upon his authority. If God did not punish sinners, he would be betraying his perfect character, which is impossible. God must punish sinners. So we're in need of a substitute, but you can't stand before God and say, hey, like, forgive my sins. And surely you cannot not only ask just for forgiveness for your sins based on what you have done, you can't do that, but you also can't say, forgive this person on my behalf as well. We are totally guilty before God, no hope. We needed a substitute. And what's amazing is a substitute was provided for you, but the substitute did not come by the people in need of the substitute. The substitute came from the one that we are guilty before, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ willingly was crucified on the cross, he took on the punishment for sin. And on that cross, God's wrath and justice were poured out. At the cross, God's mercy and wrath met. And Jesus did that in the place for those who would believe in him. And we fast forward to today, when the Holy Spirit awakens us to these truths and we trust in him, God looks at us and gives us credit for Jesus' perfection and payment. That is how the gospel leads to our salvation. Jesus dying, giving a payment, and God giving us credit for his perfect life and perfect sacrifice. So I I, I want to make that clear. We are dead in sin. But let's look at Romans 6 again. Romans 6, 6 to 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Here is the reality. At the moment of conversion, your old self, far from God, under the wrath of God, hardened by sin, that old self is dead. That's what Paul means by your old self was crucified. You're no longer enslaved to sin, no longer powerless to sin. And as verse 7 says, you are freed from sin because your old self has died when the Holy Spirit called you and indwelt within you. 
Romans 6.11, and we'll talk about this more soon. Romans 6.11 says this about us, because you're born dead in sin. When you believe in Jesus, you're dead to sin, and at the same time, you're no longer dead. Look at verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It is impossible to find an illustration that illustrates the supernatural miracle that takes place at conversion. Often we, people talk about it's like a caterpillar and then they become and, and transformed into the butterfly and that's, that's kind of like what happens when we believe in Jesus, we're a new person. Oh, that is woefully silly. There is no way to illustrate the supernatural miracle that takes place when the Holy Spirit awakens you to the truth that God sent the substitute to die on the cross so that you could die to sin, so that you could no longer be dead in your sin. A caterpillar into a butterfly doesn't do it justice because you have made, been made dead to sin, alive, to God. Can we just take a moment and reflect on how amazing a miracle that is? Something that only God can do. So this whole idea of a Christian, that those who end well are dead, they are dead to sin, no longer powerless to sin, they're dead to sin, they're no longer dead, and at the same time, they're dying to sin. Because what's interesting is, Paul in Romans 6, we're not going to look at it, but Paul says, all right, you're dead to sin, you're alive to Christ, now go die to sin. Fight your sin. And he talks about that in verses 12 to 14. So when it comes to salvation, we're talking about things that have already taken place, things that are taking place, and things that will take place one day. You are saved, made alive, you're being made new, dying to sin, and then one day you will be physically risen with God, perfect forever. Dead, no longer dead, dying. Let's just take a moment to reel in, what does this mean practically? Lots of theological terms being thrown around, but what does this practically mean? Well, Christian, it means you're no longer dead in your sin. How does this help us end well? It's the only way you will end well. No other identity can make this happen. No other group that you identify with, no matter how many times you're going to see yourself as a good person who does good, no other identity can make you dead to alive. In Christianity, life begins in death. What else does it mean? Let's, let's think practically. It means you're dead to sin now and you're not powerless to your temptations. Sin does not have to rule over you. And I know what it feels like to feel powerless under sin, even after conversion. I know what it feels like to feel hopeless 
because you keep screwing up in the same sin over and over again. I know it all too well. But a Christian who is dead, dead to sin, dying to sin, means your identity is no longer defined by your rebellion. No matter how many times you keep messing up in that same type of rebellion. It means your identity is found in what the substitute has done on your behalf. So, Christian, when you sin, what do you cling to? Do you cling to the identity that used to be true of you, that you're dead in your sin, no hope, powerless? Or do you cling to the promise that you are dead to your sin and the Holy Spirit is making you die to your sin? When you mess up, what do you cling to? How do you respond? So how does this help us end well? I mean, the only way you can end well, it means you don't have to be stuck in your sin. And it means you can live out the inward spiritual change all the way to the end. A baker bakes bread. A mechanic works on mechanical things. A Christian dies to sin. It's not an option. It is just what naturally happens after conversion because of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, Verse 5, this is what Paul says, and Lord willing, we'll talk more about this next week. But this is what he says. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Christian, if you have believed in Jesus, this isn't an option. You are dying to sin. Do you hate your sin? Don't hate yourself, but do you hate your sin? It's not an option. And you do all of this knowing that only God is this good. No other identity will do this. No other identity will be merciful and forgiving and gracious like God. All right, so that, that's the first. The identity of those who end well, they are dead. Let's look at they are risen. Romans 6, 8 and 11. We already talked about this briefly, but this is what Paul says. He says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 11, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean? It means you are risen spiritually, no longer spiritually dead, but spiritually alive with God. What else does it mean? We see all throughout the New Testament that you will be risen physically with a new body. So Christian, you're not, not only dead, but you are risen and will be risen one day. All right, let's reel it in. What does this mean practically? Do you have trouble moving past your mistakes? We all probably do. This truth that the Christian is risen means you are new and being made new. This is what Paul says in Colossians 3.10 and I find a lot of hope in this. In Colossians 3.10 Paul says you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. What does Paul say? 
He says, you are being, you are being renewed. It is a process. Sometimes I have all these goals for myself, like I need to do better at this and I need to be best at this. And when it comes to my spiritual walk with God and all those things are good and true, but I can sometimes weigh myself down because I forget it's a process. It is a process of being renewed in the image of your creator. And here's the good news. Jesus will not stop what he began in you. And Philippians 1.6, I find great comfort in this. This is what Paul says, I am sure of this for those who know Jesus, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you have been converted Christian, He's going to keep renewing you, keep making you new, keep helping you die to sin. He isn't going to throw his hands in the air 20 years in the process and say, this is way too hard for me. He does not give up the process that he began. You have a new future a new identity, a new life, a new forgiveness every single morning. This is what God says in Lamentations 3, 23. Listen to this. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is not Aloof to the fact that dying to sin is a slow process. And he will keep showing mercy every single morning. All right, let's, let's practically, what, what does this mean? How does this help us end well? It means your life is not your own. You belong to God. He rules over you. Paul in Colossians 3, 4, I thought this was interesting as I was reading it. Paul, Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, in the first part, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Christ is your life. As someone who's dead and risen based on the work of another on your behalf, your life is not your own to do whatever you want with it. Christ is your life. You belong to him. He rules over you. You will end well, Christian, because you are submitting to the one true God. How else does this idea of being risen help us fight well, end well? Well, it gives you hope. You probably know what crushing defeat feels like. In the midst of crushing defeat in your sin, you can cling to the promise that you're spiritually alive and that sin doesn't have to rule over you. In the midst of crushing emotional sorrow and physical affliction, you can cling to the promise that you will be physically risen with Jesus. In the midst of great joy, of which there's plenty here on earth, you can cling to the promise that eternity with the one who paid your debt will be so much sweeter. Christian, I I want you not just to know these things, 
but to take these things and preach them to yourself. In a way, what I'm doing here, you have to do to yourself every single day. And that's sometimes harder to do than this. There are times where I am struggling with temptation. I'm struggling with fear, and I don't want to obey God. I have to preach these things to myself. I can't just know these things, read these things. I have to take these things, remind me of these things, and I have to, I have to fight. I have to pray. I have to remind myself of Scripture. I have to preach to myself every single day. And so do you. It's easy, it's easy to know these things. It's a whole other thing to take these things and preach these things to yourself so that the identity of those who end well will be true of you. So Christian, do you know these things? And Christian, do you preach these things to yourself so that you will live it out? Here's the the last identity of those who end well. So those who end well, who will stand before Jesus one day with no eternal regrets, they are dead, they are risen, and they are hidden. Look at Colossians 3, verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This word hidden means secure and concealed. I love what uh, the, the CSB study notes said. Jesus, this word hidden means Jesus secured the Christian salvation in the past with permanent results. I was trying to think, what are some examples of this being hidden? And I saw in November of 2021, a small aircraft crashed, killing four people. The only survivor was a young girl, and this took place in Michigan. And this young girl remembers her father securing and holding her right before the crash. And she credits her survival to her father's hiding her. So as we think of this word hidden, that's what we're thinking of. Christ sacrificed himself on the cross to save you and make you his own. He only had to die once to do that. And right now, he protects those who belong to him. In the book of Jude, verses 24 to 25, this is what it says. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. If you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, Christ hides you. He secures your salvation. He protects what is precious to him. And what does it take for him to do that? It takes his glory, majesty, power, and authority. And if you cannot trust in those things, you cannot trust in anything. Let's talk about this a little bit more practically, this idea of being hidden. But before we do, I want to express a fear of mine to you. I fear that I will give assurance to the wicked. I fear that some of you here may not know Jesus. 
And the last thing I want to do is give you assurance that you're saved when you're not. How do you know if you are or not? I want you to think whom or what gives you eternal confidence. My prayer is that it's not church attendance. My prayer is it's not you trying to be a good person. My prayer is your eternal confidence isn't found in that you've just always known God. I've met people, and, and that is where their eternal confidence lies. And I do not want that for you here, and I don't want that for you, anyone who's watching. This is a quote from a Christian writer. He says, When I come before the judgment throne, I will plead the promise of God in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I will not plead any work that I have done, although I will thank God that he has enabled me to do some good. I will not plead that I had faith, for sometimes I was unsure of my faith. Whatever little growth and holiness I have experienced, whatever strength I have received from the company of the saints... Whatever understanding I have attained of God and his ways, these and all other gifts I have received, I will bring gratefully to the throne. But in seeking entry to that heavenly kingdom, I will plead Christ and Christ alone. Hell is going to be full of people. And that includes people who don't care where they will end up, But it also means hell will be full of people that just assume they're going to be with God one day. I believe with all my soul that God is merciful because if he he is not, I have no hope. I believe with all my soul that God keeps his promises that he is merciful and gracious. But God's mercy is on his terms, not ours. So I want you to think Please consider where your eternal confidence lies. So if it isn't in anything but Christ alone, by faith alone, by God's grace alone, if it's found in anything but that, I fear for your soul. I consider now, consider later. If you have questions or thoughts, write it on the connect card. See me or one of the people on the worship team after the service. Do not let the day go by without considering where your eternal confidence lies. Because one day we will all stand before the holy God and it will be too late. There will be no assurance for the wicked on that day. So my greatest fear is that I will bring assurance to the wicked. But I burn with the desire to bring comfort to the weary and hurting Christian. Christian, do you worry about your salvation? There are times that I do. I want to read this verse to you. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, Listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This does not mean we work our way to heaven, but it means the Christian lives out the identity that they're dead, risen, and hidden with fear and trembling. They trust that God is merciful, but like Hebrews 12 talks about, he is a consuming fire. God promises heaven, but hell is a very real place. Christian, live with a holy concern for your soul. 
That does not mean anxious or worried because that goes against what God says in his word. But live with a holy concern about your state before God. Fear God. Fear because you know you are a weak person who wanders far from God. Honestly, I fear more for the person who doesn't have any concern for their eternal state than for the person who wrestles with worry. At least those who wrestle understand the holiness of God. When we stand before God, He's going to be more merciful and gracious and loving than we can ever fathom. But at the same time, He's going to be a whole lot more holy than we could ever realize. We're all going to fall before him one day and let's live in light of that. Christian, be sure of this. There are many dangers that seek to shipwreck your faith. Satan is a prowling lion. Fear for your soul. That holy concern, that striving for holiness, that yearning to be done with sin, that yearning to kill your sin, that yearning to be out from under the the powerful sin that that can rule over you, that holy concern is a sign of your salvation, friend. Not anxiousness, not worry, but a holy concern. And you see this, especially in the book of Hebrews. You see it in Revelation. You see it here in Colossians. You see it all throughout Scripture. So I want you to see, Christian, have a holy concern for your soul. But at the same time, don't doubt God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I want you to listen to this and let this just fall over you. Let this feed your soul. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So because of God's great mercy, we are made alive into a hope that's not dead, it's living through our Savior who has been resurrected. We have a great living hope because of God's mercy. Look at verse 4. We have this living hope an inheritance that is, listen to these words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Look at verse 5. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Christian, you have a hope that can never be taken, destroyed, stolen, or lost. Why can those things never happen? Because you are being protected by God's power. And when Christ returns, it's going to be revealed. And if you have believed in Jesus, trusted in Him, you will stand there and say, I I knew it. It was so hard, but I knew you were protecting me, and I knew you kept this hope alive for me. Not because of you, dear friend, but because it's guarded by God's power. Be sure of promises like this in John chapter 6, 
verses 39 to 40. This is Jesus speaking. This is the will. This is God's desire. We're always thinking, what's God's will? Here's, here's God's will. That I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We're always talking about what's God's will for my life. It's a new year. What's God's will? That everyone that believes in him will make it to the end, and he won't lose any that believe in him. I love what Martin Luther, the reformer, says. When I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at my Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. When I look at myself, I know I'm going to be lost. When I look at my Savior, I don't see how my salvation can't be protected. When you're doubting, dear friend, take comfort. Your salvation is being protected by God's power, mercy, authority, majesty, and glory. You will not be lost, even when you don't live out this identity well. Sometimes all I can do is sing along with the hymn, Rock of Ages, hide myself in thee. Hide me, God. Protect me. So how does being hidden help you end well? It's the only way you're going to get to the end. On your own, you will be lost. I know for a fact that if God lifted his hand over me, I would be lost in a second because my heart wanders so far. But as promised, God protects what is precious to him, your soul. Just like that father protected his daughter who is so precious, God will protect those, the souls of those who know him. So if you are here and you are far from God, you do not know Jesus. I want you to know this identity can be yours. It is by humbly realizing I am under the wrath of the one true holy God you can only be saved by faith in Christ alone. And to the Christian, I want you to take a deep breath. This identity of you being dead, risen, and hidden is sure and secure. Your identity is sure and secure. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and we are going to partake in communion reflecting on Christ. So let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not know you. I pray you will help them to see they are purposefully made, they are loved, but they are far from you. Please help them, God, know you. And Lord, I pray for every Christian here You help them to live out this identity that they will remember who they are, who they can be, that you are merciful. I pray, God, they will have a holy concern for their soul. I thank you, God, that you protect what is precious to you. Protect my soul, Lord. Lord, I pray as we enter into communion that you will be worshipped. Lord, I thank you 
We can do this together as a body. In your name, amen.